0: Building strong marriages is essential to having a strong family and strong families are absolutely the key to having societies that thrive financially, spiritually, um, as far as, you know, these crazy government uh, leaders that are coming in. this wouldn't happen in societies where families are strong based on good, strong principles and traditional values biblical values. Yeah,
1: you're
2: you're absolutely right. And and the enemy and the enemy's minions have recognized for a long time that families have to be undermined uh, for the enemy to be able to make progress and advance. And we've seen that so clearly. I mean, Karl Marx articulated this uh, in very plain terms, right? Women should be collectively uh, held and uh, multiple partners and children should be raised by the state uh, why did Karl Marx who, who I believe was actually a Satanist and I know that sounds inflammatory read the books Marx and Satan read some of his poetry I think you'll come to the same conclusion uh, but, you know, if God ordained marriage, if God ordained family for our good, it makes sense that the enemy would wage constant war on it. And that's exactly what we have seen. All of the totalitarian regimes of the last hundred years have tried to undermine family. Uh, first of all, it, it is the mechanism that God has chosen to use to disciple the next generation. Uh, the gospel is propagated in that way. You know, the, the children are brought up with the faith, with the, the the understanding that their parents have instilled in them. Uh, and so there's a concerted effort to destroy marriages and to destroy families. Uh, you're absolutely right that a strong marriage is essential to a strong family. A strong family is essential to a strong society. And part of the reason our societies are in turmoil, the United States and Canada and across the West, is families are disintegrating because of a well-orchestrated plot of the enemy.
1: I'm so pleased that Alex is featured on the Empower Hour this evening. Alex is a husband, father, educator, author, award-winning international journalist, and a sought-after speaker who desires to glorify God in everything he does. In 2019... Alex and a coalition of Christian leaders formed Public School Exit, America's foremost ministry working to rescue children from the horrors of so-called government education, also known as indoctrination. Their mission is to facilitate an exodus of children and families from government-controlled education. Alex is a strong and motivating voice as he encourages men to be warriors and protectors of their families, their faith and their freedom. Because this interview is pre-taped, we will not be taking questions in the Q&A chat tonight, but I do invite you to sit back and get comfortable as we watch this illuminating presentation together.
0: Well, Alex, it's so good to have you back on the show. This is your second time. The last time you were here, we were talking about the great school exit in the United States and the program that you're involved in. And today we're going to talk about a really critical issue. After decades of this campaign to emasculate men, uh, we really truly need to have this conversation and understand the role of men as leaders within their family, within their work, the church and their community. As I say, after decades, I call it an elaborate and well-synchronized scheme to emasculate men and elevate women the pendulum i believe is finally beginning to swing back as men and women reassess their god-given roles and celebrate being uniquely male and female and uh so we're we're going to have a really great conversation i think it's a necessary one and long overdue so welcome to the show and uh yeah over to you
2: Uh, What an honor to be here, Tanya. Thank you so much. It's great to see you. I I can't tell you how much I appreciate the wonderful work you're doing. Uh, I know things uh, look like they're getting darker in Canada and across the United States, but uh, I'm just uh, so happy that there are voices out there like yours uh, speaking the truth boldly and without fear. Uh, it's, It's so necessary, and it's really an honor to be with you again, Tanya. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you, Alex. And, you know, we're actually starting to have some breakthrough in Canada and uh, in New Brunswick. I'm not sure if you heard about it, but this last week, things sort of exploded because the uh, Minister of Education had put a policy forward. It was done several years ago, Policy 713, and it actually is a first step from a province in defending children and families and parental rights. And the uh, policy will prohibit teachers from using children's pronouns, without parental knowledge or trying to uh, uh, change children's gender at school under the radar as they say to keep children safe from you know these horrific abusive families that won't promote this craziness and then the other thing was to also ensure that uh, males were not going into girls change rooms and private spaces and uh, there were a few other points as well but this is massive the prime minister is speaking out uh, against this of course because uh, Trudeau is all things LGBTQ. He's also announced this week the Rainbow Railroad, joining with the Rainbow Railroad to bring all the homosexuals around the world into Canada to be safe and as well as unions and others are, uh, you know, opposing what uh, Premier Higgs and the Education Minister, Minister Hogan um, have done here. And so the LGBTQ uh, radical activists are absolutely in a frenzy right now because they're comparing it to Florida. They're saying that this is the beginning, as in Florida. Other uh, provinces are watching what's going on. And so I sent out a massive uh, um campaign yesterday for everybody across the nation. We have a really large email list to provide all of the support possible for Premier Higgs and uh, Bill Hogan. And so we're really excited about that. This is really big. Parents are coming out to school boards. And uh, we were several years behind you in the United States because, you know, Obama brought this in. And when Trudeau got in, he started uh, pushing it. So um, I always kept saying you know, it's only a matter of time before some civility and sanity starts to come back into the political platform here, landscape in in Canada. So,
2: yeah, it's, it's very encouraging, and uh, you know, these, these are small steps in the big scheme of things, but it shows a uh, movement in the right direction. And you know the the media, and I'm sure the same is true in Canada, is hyperventilating about this. And uh, oh, this is an attack! It's absolutely not. And and the thing is, the voters saw right through that. Here in Florida, you know, speaking from from our perspective here, uh, our governor passed that with the support of the legislature these measures, uh, and they're they're hardly radical. I mean, all, all they're saying is you know don't sexualize kids, don't indoctrinate them with LGBT stuff before the third grade. I mean, you know, that's a very common sense proposal. I would say it doesn't go nearly far enough, but again, step in the right direction. And the media, you know, acted like uh, Ron DeSantis, our governor, was literally Hitler. I can't tell you how many times I heard that. He's literally Hitler because he doesn't think we need to teach second graders that they can chop off private parts. Uh, and, and the voters saw right through that he was reelected by a massive margin, 60 to 40. You know, our state uh, here in Florida historically has been what we call a swing state. You know, it could go Democrat or Republican. It's been kind of. In between over the years but uh, to to have a margin like that 60 40 in the last gubernatorial election shows you that the voters are really not buying into this mainstream people don't think children need to be sexualized at taxpayer expense in public schools people don't think that their children need to be taught that they might have been born in the wrong body Uh, and this is true across the political spectrum you talk to a normal average democrat they also don't want their children uh, being deceived with these kinds of lies so uh despite the the media hysteria despite the comments of your prime minister and and of course uh, Joe Biden the reality is that voters do not support this kind of stuff and that's very encouraging to know that the population is not buying into the stuff that the corporations and the government is pushing
0: yeah, we're really excited about it. We've had a massive campaign since a year ago, Stop SOGI 123, the uh, comprehensive sexuality education that comes from the UN. It's known as the Win Sex Ed in Ontario. And across the nation, we have over 100 chapters now, and I'm really excited about it because in lockstep, we're working together and serving all of the school board trustees, warning them that you're going down a bad path here, and if you continue to support this, uh, when this starts to unfold, you could be held personally liable. And and so in certain districts, I've had uh, school boards that uh, they've uh, threatened legal action, you know, against myself for speaking out on these issues. They want to call it all hate towards the LGBTQ. But in the United States, we know that adding gender expression and gender um, identity to the uh, human rights uh, commission and stuff. This does not give them a green light to railroad every over everybody else's rights, and it certainly doesn't give them the right to sexually exploit and harm children.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, you know, if, if you look at who is being hateful here, I, I think it's very obvious who's being hateful. Anybody can just look at this objectively and de- decide for themselves who's being hateful. The people who are being hateful are the people who are using vile language, who are making threats. Um, in California, I don't know if you saw, but uh, the, the state of California just filed a new bill that would actually uh, criminalize parents not affirming uh, the gender confusion of their children, uh, and in fact would would break up a family. It would could be considered under the law uh, child abuse for a parent not to affirm their confused child if he or she believes that he might have been born in the wrong body or whatever, uh, and so. I can't think of very th- very many things that would be more hateful than ripping a child from his or her parents under the guise of this ideology that uh, really has done nothing but devastate enormous numbers of children. Uh, in fact, even a lot of the European countries now. I'm actually headed to Scandinavia here uh, in the next few days. I spent many years over there. Uh, even a lot of the Scandinavian countries are now saying, "Look, we're we're going to stop uh, you know surgically mutilating children. This is there's not good outcomes here. A lot of these kids go on to kill themselves." Uh, you know, the only uh, pseudo studies that have been produced purporting to show that this is a good thing are done by radical uh, gender activists. And so the hate is clearly coming off from one side. And uh, really, the the Christian response, as far as I have seen, has been nothing but loving and caring. And look, you know, God designed you this way. You don't need to hate yourself. You don't need to believe the lies that you're being told. Um, you know, God created you that way. And, and so uh, the hate is is there, but it's certainly not coming from the people trying to protect children.
0: A hundred percent and you know I always say that uh, God is the ultimate God is love and he calls on us to love our neighbors but sometimes loving our neighbors means that we're going to speak a truth that is tough for them to embrace. And um, ultimately, in the end, they're going to see that this truth is right and in their best interest. And I'm not sure if you are aware, but in December of 2021, uh, Canada already passed a a bill stating that if parents do not support their children in uh, their gender dysphoria and take them to a gender dysphoria clinic, they could spend five years in jail. Therapists could spend three years in prison. And it is so tyrannical. And, you know, part of my platform is I'm always wanting people to know that our Constitution, Section 52.1 in short form, says that if any law, if any provision is in violation or contradicts our Constitution, it's of no force or effect. But that doesn't help parents who are in this position because now Johnny's coming home and saying, "I'm a girl," and you know the teachers have already had four months of transitioning him outwardly at school and changing his pronouns, and now mom is going to be expected and dad are going to be expected to bring their kids to a clinic that's going to support this insanity, and so we're also promoting on mass that parents pull their children out of uh, the school system, both public and private. And that they homeschool them. And because you can do more in an hour and a half and two hours in the evening than your child learns, you know, in six days in, or sorry, six hours in the school system, six or seven hours. And that's being proven. Uh, one of the other things that we did when you're talking about hate is we have recently, about a month ago, launched a letter that was meant to, that, well, is calling on elected officials to ban non government and uh, special interest group flags. Because we've got Supreme Court rulings that uh, on a duty of state neutrality, our public spaces must be neutral, which means all of our schools within the systems must be neutral. No LGBTQ stickers, no propaganda is permitted. And um, as a result, you know, some of the school boards with the activists on them are calling this letter hate. And you know what they're calling, what they're referring to is within the letter, I state who developed and who created the pride flag. And Gilbert Baker said that's what flags are for, that's what, um, proclaiming uh, power, right, over our schools and our cities. But the creator of the trans flag, I don't recall his name right now, was just a horrible individual. And those bef- behind WPATH um, are the ones that, uh, for transgender health and are pushing for people to transgender. Well, these are a bunch of very deviant individuals who believe and uh, get off on uh, dr- um, castrating animals. And so you can imagine what they feel about castrating children. And so uh, we want, Elected officials, do you really understand who it is and what you're supporting?
2: Yeah, and those things are so important to to emphasize, Tanya. You know, uh, the UN Secretary General some years ago came to San Francisco and celebrated uh, LGBT so-called human rights and described so-called homosexual marriage as a human right. Uh, and and this all happened in the context of Harvey Milk. And Harvey Milk is, to this day, still celebrated by the LGBT movement as the man who kicked off this LGBT revolution. Uh, he was sec- celebrated by the Secretary General of the UN, Ban Ki-moon. Uh, very, very huge figure in this movement. Uh, and you don't have to do a lot of research to figure out that this is a man who was raping children. Uh, some of those children actually went on to kill themselves. He was finding young, troubled boys who were having problems with drugs, who were, you know, run away from home, whatever, who were having problems. And he was grooming them and exploiting them and then raping them. Uh, this is the guy who kicked off what was described as the LGBT sexual revolution. And so you really don't have to dig deep to find out that a lot of the characters in this are very nefarious. You know, when you look at the transgender movement, uh, you find there are vested financial interests. There are companies, there are individuals that are making more money than you could possibly comprehend off of these surgical mutilations, off of these uh, uh, gender treatments, these uh, uh puberty blockers and hormones. Uh, there are very powerful financial interests here that are turning these children into lifelong customers. Once they start on this route, they become lifelong customers. They constantly need to come back for hormones and treatments and updates and uh, making sure that the wounds have healed from the, the surgery. And of course those wounds will never heal. Uh, these are children who end up being sterilized. Uh, and you know, to go back to something you said a moment ago too about the efforts to criminalize parents, the efforts to criminalize those of us who speak out in love about what's happening here. First of all, anybody who corrupts a child, the Bible tells us very clearly it would be better for those people to have a millstone hung around their neck and to be tossed to the bottom of the sea. Now, that's not me saying that. That's God saying that. When you corrupt a child, when you uh, harm the innocence of a child— uh, that is such an enormous matter. And I, I don't think a lot of these people are, are taking into consideration the, the long-term consequences of this because what they're doing to these children is monstrous. And And on the effort of criminalizing speech, on the effort of criminalizing not affirming these kinds of confusions, uh you know we need to be very clear what they're trying to do is actually criminalize Christianity. They're trying to criminalize the gospel because uh, you know the, the gospel of salvation is very clear. Jesus Christ died for your sins so that you could be redeemed so that you could be made right by God and this is transformative. When you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, when you accept the penalty that he paid in payment for your sins so that you could be made right with God. Your life is transformed, and that's not to suggest that you are going to be immediately sin-free. That's not going to happen. We know that, but God transforms us, and the Scripture teaches this very clearly. This has been taught for 2,000 years of church history. If you go to First Corinthians chapter 6, uh, you read about all these different things that all of us were involved in before we knew the Lord. One of those is uh, homosexuality, and, and, and all of these types of behaviors that God defines as sinful— He can set us free from those, and yet to lie to children and say, nope, that's who you are, that's your identity, your sin is who you are, uh that's wrong that's wicked and then to try to take it a step further and criminalize the preaching of the gospel which is what this is ha- what is uh, going on here they're trying to criminalize the preaching of the gospel uh it is an attack on the most basic fundamental rights uh, and as christians we have no choice but to disobey these laws there there is no choice uh in acts chapter 5 verse 29 the apostles say it's better to obey god than men they're ordered stop preaching in the name of Jesus, and they can't because we are uh, uh, adopted. Children of the Most High, we are servants of the King, and we must do what He says. And so, we are good citizens; we always obey the law. But when the law conflicts with what we are commanded to do by our Master, by our King, by our Savior, uh, there's no choice but to disobey that. We must do that. And, and I'm always reminded of Daniel chapter three. I mean, this, this has just been burning on my heart for for years now, and it's becoming so obvious why. Uh, you know the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the the Hebrew boys who were in uh, captivity in Babylon. They were ordered to bow down to this golden idol, and that's the situation that we as Christians find ourselves in today. We are being ordered to bow down to this golden idol. You cannot preach the gospel. You cannot tell someone that their lives can be transformed through the blood of Christ. Uh, we're being told that we cannot do those things, and we must say. Sorry, King, we have no need to respond to you in this matter, but our God is able to save us from your fiery furnace, and he will save us from your fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, we are still not going to bow down to that golden idol, and and that's all there is to it. We have no choice but to act here
0: amen amen to that yeah when you said the first scripture about wrapping a millstone around your neck that is the one school board i had used that uh, phrase in an article i wrote and they said that i was endorsing uh vandalism and uh hate and violence they used the word violence towards the school district for using that that uh bible verse all right so with all of this in mind Uh, When I began this journey in 2015, it was women on the front line of this fight, and I am just so absolutely over the moon to see all of the men's finally starting to rise up and step out on the front line and uh you know begin their role as men to be the protector in in this scenario and the warrior and so alex can we let's address that like i really want our viewers to understand what is the traditional biblical role of men and i want to cover the areas of within community within the family you know within the workplace and within the church
2: yeah, you know the Bible speaks so clearly on these issues and and as Christians we always need to go back to the word and so uh, God has created clear roles, he's offered clear responsibilities, clear duties for every person, uh, and and some of those apply to men, and some of those apply to women. And so there are the basics, right? Uh, if you go to, uh, for example, First uh, Timothy chapter 5, uh, you read that uh, a, a man, a husband, a father who does not provide for the members of his own household, really for his family, uh, is worse than an infidel and has denied the faith. And so we have an obligation as fathers, as husbands, to provide for our family, to care for our family. And that doesn't mean just financially that doesn't just mean they have food to eat they have a bed to sleep and those things are important but it's much more significant than that it's about protection it's about uh, discipling it's about uh, caring for their spiritual needs and that applies to the whole family now this applies uh, to mom and dad in different ways but, uh, you know, the Bible teaches uh, about fatherhood so much. I, I encourage every Christian man, if you have children, you need to go read about what God says about fatherhood. Uh, and, and there are a lot of reasons why it's so important. One of them is because... Uh, you know, there's a, a parallel there between our relationship with God the Father in the way that we treat and love our children, right? in terms of discipline, in terms of loving them, in terms of uh, trying to get them to do the right thing. And so when it comes to the home, you know, the Bible is very clear, and this is a teaching that's not popular anymore, even unfortunately in, in a lot of uh, Christian circles, that the husband is the head of his family uh, and, and the head of his wife. And, you know, that doesn't mean what the world wants you to think it means. It doesn't mean that a father or a husband is supposed to be lording it over his wife and giving her commands and barking orders. Uh, It's totally inappropriate, and that's not what the Scripture teaches. In fact, the Scriptures tell you what that means. That means you are to serve your wife. That means you're to love your wife like Christ loved the church. In fact, that's what God says about marriage. Marriage is a representation of the relationship between Christ and the church. So Christ is the head, and the church is the body, and the body and the head work together and uh, And it's about service, right? uh Christ loved the church so much that he died for her he the most gruesome and barbaric death and so husbands, are you willing to do whatever is necessary for your wife and, and when it talks about you know uh, loving. Your wife, it, it means again, more than just satisfying her financial needs, making sure that she has a, a home to live in and food. Uh, you know, are, are you, uh, in the word with her? Are you uh, teaching her? Are you praying with her? Uh, are you leading your own children? Right. And, and so when it comes to the raising and the discipling of children, uh, this is an area where fathers and mothers are to work together. Uh, fathers, I believe, are, are to kind of set the course and to lead the way, but uh, this is a partnership between the husband and the wife in the discipling of children, and there, there's so much in the Bible about how we are to do this. Uh, you know Ephesians 6-4 uh, very clearly uh, is addressed to fathers and sometimes mothers are added in there I think it's a- applicable to both but especially to fathers uh, it says that you are not to provoke your children to anger but you're supposed to raise them up in the fear and the discipline and the admonition of the Lord so it's a, a critical responsibility that we all have uh, as fathers and as husbands is-, is bringing our children up in the fear and the discipline and the admonition of the Lord uh, now people talk about the Great Commission a lot of churches are scared to talk about any of the issues that are facing our culture, and their standard reply is, "Well, Great Commission, we're we're just preaching the gospel, and so we're not going to talk about those sensitive issues about gender. We're not going to talk about the abortion issues. We're not going to talk about, uh, you know, God's design for family. We're not going to talk about God's design for government. That's political. Uh, whereas uh, in reality, the Great Commission is so applicable to your home. You know, I, I tell people if you think you're going to make disciples of other nations and you're going to lose your own children, you're not going to disciple your own children. You've totally missed." The point, right? Our first ministry as, as fathers and as mothers is to our own children, is to our own family. And so if you're not making disciples in your own home, how are you going to make disciples overseas? You know, you tell me, oh, we're funding a missionary to go to, you know, Canada or Zimbabwe or, or Haiti or Thailand. Well, that's nice. And we should be doing that as Christians. We should be doing that as the church. But don't tell me that when we're, the church is losing 80 to 90 percent of its young people because they're being discipled by the world. So, you know, fathers have an obligation to provide for their families, to love their families, to serve their families. Right? The, the term servant leadership is almost cliche, but I do think it's important to emphasize, you know, leadership in the Christian context is different than what the world thinks of as leadership. You know, when the world thinks of leadership, they think of uh... government uh... policies and mandates even authoritarian uh... that's not what christian leadership looks like and in fact this is specifically addressed in the text of the scripture <laughs> right? Uh, leadership in the Christian context is not like it is for the Gentiles. It's not about lording it over others. It's about serving others. And so as husbands, as fathers, we need to be serving our families. We need to be serving our wives. We need to be serving our own children. And we need to be carrying out those tasks that God has set before us, starting with the basics, providing financially and, and so on. But much more importantly than that, having an eye on eternity and and being in the word and teaching the truth about God from the scriptures.
0: Right, that, that's amazing. Uh, um, Alex and I completely 100% agree with you. So many people uh, with all the women's movements over the years, right? A knee jerk reaction is to be offended. There's no man that's going to have authority over me, but it's a blessing. It is a gift and a blessing to women to be in a relationship where men understand uh, what God meant in the design as leader of the family and to be a husband. And to be that provider, it is not to be a dictator within the home. And if men are doing that, then they are not in tune with the Lord and and right. they're lacking within their own life. And that's where, uh, you know, building their relationship with God has to be fir- fir- first and foremost. So it's God first, then my wife and family, then my job. And if you've got a good, healthy balance like that, you know, you're on the right track. Recently, I was giving counsel to a couple who were really struggling, like to the point where they're very unhappy in each other's company. And at different times, separately, I was having a conversation. And when I was sitting down with the husband, he would said, well, I'm not going to leave her, you know, because, you know, divorce is against God's will. And I said, That's not the reason to stay because that was the commitment he'd made at the altar. I said, that's not what God is asking. He's asking for far much more than that. And you've touched on that right now, right? You need to understand who your wife is. And within relationships, the other thing to address is having healthy relationships. And I I was way back when they still had cassette tapes, (laughs) but I had a recording of a church service on cassette tape and I lent it to somebody. And it was about Bruce and Wanda who got married. And then the story ended up being how they were actually bruised and wounded. And then they had a child and I always forget what they named the child, but it was bruised and wounded, you know, because you, you will forward that on to your generations, those dysfunctions and those hurts within your own life from your own family experiences, possibly, or, you know, some other experience of hurt or harm that has been caused to an individual. And if you don't get the assistance that you need and heal and become whole, that is going to affect your relationship. And it is definitely going to affect your children. So it is about very positively working on yourself and then also understand that your your spouse has issues as well. And if you chose to love them and get married, then you need to be willing to dig into those hard times as well and say, how can I help in this situation? How can we heal together?
2: Yeah. And, and you know, this, this is an area where men really have been lacking uh, in our culture because they haven't been taught properly. You know, when, when, when God tells us to love our wives like Christ loved the church, um, I mean, obviously that's incomprehensible to our finite minds. The, the love that Christ has for his church is beyond the scope of what we can imagine. But just from what we know in the scriptures, we get a sense of how deep and how great that love is. And you know I, I I talk to a lot of men who say, "Well, you know my wife doesn't submit to me, and so i i don't feel obligated to love her. excuse me i i didn't see the asterisks in the scripture that said, if your wife isn't behaving exactly how you think she needs to be behaving that suddenly you don't need to love her uh, and I think part of it also is a is an improper understanding of love that unfortunately many Christians have picked up from the world there there's this Strange notion. It's almost like you know the pagan idea that there's a little Cupid that's shooting you with an arrow and oh, I fell in love and it's uncontrollable. There's nothing I can do about it. Absolutely not. That is not what God means by love. This is not some uh, bizarre, uncontrollable emotional force that, that we have no control over. Uh, when god commands you to love your wife as Christ loved the church that's an order this is not something that you know oh i fell in love oh i fell out of love that's no, a choice that you make and and to love your wife in that way means you need to be prioritizing her you need to be prioritizing her needs uh, and all of this is independent of her behavior all of this is totally independent of whether she's doing what you think she needs to be doing and what i have found and i've seen this in so many families is that when husbands start doing what they've been called to do which is to love and serve their wives uh, to care more about them than they care about themselves, right? Like, you know, your own body, right? Like, well, I'm hungry, so you go eat, right? That's how you need to be thinking. What does my wife need? How can I anticipate her needs? How can I serve her? Um, Because, you know, the Bible talks about you two are now one flesh, right? And so you need to keep in mind that your duty is to love her and to serve her, and the other pieces fall into place when husbands do what they're supposed to do. But there are so few pastors and so few churches willing to teach this now, because as you pointed out, Tanya, it goes contrary to what the culture teaches. It, it goes contrary to the feminist narrative. Uh, it's been portrayed now for for several decades, at least in academia, as oppressive, that, you know, the patriarchy is this horrible evil that's, uh, you know, just being terrible to women uh, and You know, husbands, again, you have to love your wives, and the other pieces will fall into place. And that's when you really do become a team. Now, on this side of eternity, you know, things are never going to be perfect. We're still sinful. We're still fallen. uh, You know, we're still going to be pursuing our own selfish ambitions and things like that. But pray and ask the Lord to help you with that, and what you'll find is He will. And when you follow God—and this is not true just with family. This is true with every other area—but when you follow God's instructions— Family is an institution that was ordained and created by God. This was not a man-made idea that, hey, we should invent family. This is an institution that God created. And so when you want to understand how to operate something properly, how something works, you go to the instruction manual created by the creator of that thing. So God created and ordained marriage. If we want to know how to make it work properly, you go to the instruction manual given to us by the creator of that institution. And that is the scripture. That is the Bible. Uh, And you'll find everything that you need in there to be a good father, to be a good husband, Uh, and really beyond what's right you know, all these people buy all these parenting books by PhDs and psychologists, and there may be little uh, nuggets of wisdom in there, but really all that you genuinely need to be a good husband and a good father will be found in the scriptures.
0: Right, and to love God first. And uh, that's one of the things, isn't it, is that uh, we've entered a fast food world and it's all about pleasure and about me, me, me. And as society is fed that through the media and through the news, it becomes overwhelming as to how do we teach people that every single marriage traditionally that made it to 50 or 60 or 70 years was that they came across these critical moments in their marriage where both individuals said, I've had enough. I, I can't do this anymore. You know, thinking about divorce, but instead what they did is they pushed through and they worked on that situation and they healed that could have happened five years into their marriage and 10 years into their marriage. But there isn't a marriage. I believe that isn't going to experience that moment. And again, when I was giving counsel to a, a couple and they were at this point, I said, you could easily divorce, but you will find somebody else who will have issues and you again will come to this moment. And are, the, you'll have to again make the decision. Am I going to push through and work through it? And thankfully, you know, this, this couple decided to push through. And, you know, it's just been amazing to see their relationship grow in the maturity of it. Right. And also, you know, on their, on their true commitment, uh, when they were at the altar. The other thing is that I find in marriage relationships is that men need respect. Women need security. And what happens in is if a man is either working too much or going out with his buddies the wife starts to feel insecure in their relationship and her value and then she starts to make little shots at the husband then the husband starts to feel disrespected. And that as well can feed into, uh, you know, a snowball of events that lead to a miserable situation as well. So we need to understand men are not women. Uh, you know, yes, they need to be compassionate. And yes, they need to be able to work for through um, situations, but they're not going to feel things the same way that women do. And uh so there's just so much about it, Alex, that, uh, you know, building strong marriages is essential to having a strong family. And strong families are absolutely the key to having societies that thrive financially, spiritually, Um, As far as, you know, these crazy government uh, leaders that are coming in, this wouldn't happen in societies where families are strong based on good, strong principles and traditional values, biblical values. Yeah,
2: you're you're absolutely right. And and the enemy and the enemy's minions have recognized for a long time that families have to be undermined uh, for the enemy to be able to make progress and advance and we've seen that so clearly I mean, Karl Marx articulated this uh, in very plain terms right Uh, women should be collectively uh, held and uh, multiple partners and children should be raised by the state Uh, why did Karl Marx who, who I believe was actually a Satanist and I know that sounds inflammatory read the books Marx and Satan read some of his poetry I think you'll come to the same conclusion uh, but, you know, if God ordained marriage, if God ordained family for our good, it makes sense that the enemy would wage constant war on it, and that's exactly what we have seen. All of the totalitarian regimes of the last hundred years have tried to undermine family. Uh, first of all, it, it is the mechanism that God has chosen to use to disciple the next generation. Uh, the gospel is propagated in that way. You know, the the children are brought up with the faith, with the the, the understanding that their parents have instilled in them. Uh, and so, there's a concerted effort to destroy marriages and to destroy families. Uh, you're absolutely right that a strong marriage is essential to a strong family. A strong family is essential to a strong society. And And part of the reason our societies are in turmoil, the United States and Canada and across the West, is families are disintegrating because of a well-orchestrated plot of the enemy. Um, And you said so many things there, Tanya. I I would love to address more of them. For example, you know, the issue of of husbands needing respect. You're absolutely right. And the scripture actually teaches that. Uh, Wives should respect their husbands. Um, And, you know, that doesn't mean just a, a blind ridiculous respect. And, and it doesn't mean unquestioning submission to ungodly order. Just like I, I said earlier, we are commanded to defy illegitimate decrees from government if they're telling us we can't preach the gospel, if they're telling us we must participate in abortions. Uh, so the same is true in a marriage. If a husband tells his wife to do something that's unbiblical, that's evil, uh, she has an obligation to say, no, my first allegiance is to God, and therefore, no, I won't go earn money by prostituting myself. No, I won't subject our children to, you know, pick your, your horror that have, are now, have now become so prevalent in our culture. So there are some lines there, but it is important for wives to respect their husbands. Uh, and, and the scriptures teach this. So what I, what I tell both husbands and wives is, you know, you do the part that God has assigned to you and, and watch the miraculous transformation that happens in your family. So, you know, there are wives out there listening and say, well, my husband is ungodly. Well, that's unfortunate, and I'm sorry about that, but God addresses that. Uh, You know, you may not be able to change your husband on your own, but you do what you're called to do and watch how God works there. Watch how your uh, obedience to God's word will work in his life. The Holy Spirit can use that to convict him and, and bring him to his senses. Uh, you also, I, I think, hit on something really important. There are so many men today, um, and, and I don't say this from a position of judgment, but there are so many men today who've just gotten so obsessed with things that are absolutely insignificant. And, and you know, without picking on any one category of things, you know, if, if you're spending 10 hours a week on sports and, you know, you're, you're screaming at the TV and you're using all this energy on cheering for your sports team, uh, you know, pray about that. Is that what God would really have you doing during those 10 hours? You know, if you're one of the guys who are into video games and, and some of my own friends, you know, they play a lot of video games and I, I, I try my best to encourage them to find more productive uses of their time, like maybe worship together with your family, maybe be in prayer, maybe read the word, uh, maybe go through, uh, you know, devotional. But if you're finding yourself playing all this time on video games and your wife is having to come in and say, honey, you know, dinner's ready. Honey, can you help me with the, the dishes? Uh, you know, that, that's probably become a problem. And, uh, you know, is that really a godly use of your time? God's only given us a limited amount of hours on this earth. Uh, use them to do the things God has called you to do, including loving and serving your wife, including discipling your children. And uh, what you'll find as you devote more and more time to the things that God has called you to do rather than the things that the world is interested in, like video games, like sport, you know, without picking on sports mm-hmm. or video games, it's just the two examples that come to mind. Uh, you know, what you'll find is that your family will be transformed. And as families are transformed, communities get transformed. Government gets transformed. Culture gets transformed. So there are all these benefits to it as well. Uh, and, and you notice people are unhappy. You notice people are unfulfilled. We all see this around us. There's no question about it. And I think a big part of the reason is their family is not operating in the manner that God has prescribed in his word. So get into the word, read it, uh, you know, follow those about wives. Even if your husband's not perfect and he's not going to be, respect him, right? Uh, husbands, even if your wife is not perfect and she's not going to be, honor her and love her and serve her. And what you'll find is that the other partner in this union, in this team, if you will, that God has ordained, will start changing as well, and amazing things will happen. And, you know, children pick up on that, too. When mom and dad are constantly fighting, you know, they, they don't have that sense of security that they need to really thrive. And again, if your marriage is a representation of the relationship between Christ and the church, and you're constantly bickering, and you're arguing, and you're screaming at each other, uh, you know, what does that show your children about the relationship between Christ and the church? So, we really need to try very hard on this, and it really does begin in our own home. I'm so glad we're talking about this today, Tanya, because a lot of people want to talk about the politics, very important, and the culture, it's very important. But you know we can't determine what's happening in Parliament. We can't fix what's happening in Congress. What we can do is work on our own family and the little sphere of influence that God has given us, and as that gets transformed on the biblical model, that radiates outward and then you become a shining light in this dark culture and in this increasingly dark environment that we find ourselves in. And people look at that and they say, wow, you know, what, what do they have? Uh, And, and that's a powerful testimony as well. You know, people look at your family and they say, Something's different about them. You know, the children are well behaved and and they're smart and they're not disrespectful. And the husband and the wife, they seem to actually like each other. And, you know, people look at that and and then they want to know why. And so then they're going to go and seek Christ. So there's so many benefits from this. And again, it's all laid out in his word.
0: I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's got to be initially, that's where we start, is on the focus on the family, as James Dobson so aptly put it. And one of the things as well I want to just highlight, of course, we are not advocating in any way that a woman in an abusive situation, and we mean a serious abusive situation, should remain in that situation, and God doesn't want you to either, but you have to, you know, at the capacity of what we're talking about in being sacrificial in your relationship towards each other and towards your children children and that is something as I mentioned before we become that fast food society it's all about me I'm not feeling you know happy in this situation for these various reasons but what are you contributing what are you doing to make the situation better and another really important topic I think that we should touch on is uh, the pervasive sexual perversion within society as well and the pornography that is taking families down and tearing them apart which is a, a major part of our opposition's plan. And I've had John Euler on the show a couple of times and we he and I are working together on some things and of course being a, a certified uh, sex offender therapist, he understands the damage of pornography And that it breaks down uh, a man. And, And men are the ones that are the majority that deal with this. And this is intentional. This is the enemy getting a foothold into your life. Because when you watch pornography, of course, shame comes in. And then whether you're in a relationship and hiding this, that shame will cause you to respond and react in certain situations where your wife may say something and you're taking something very uh, simply and you're inflating that within your own mind. And that's the shame that is building up uh, because it's, you know, it, it depletes you as a person. And if that is given a foothold to grow, it will it will lead to other behaviors in your life that will break down your relationship and the intimacy between you and your wife, you and your children. And so I think that this is something that needs to be addressed as well.
2: Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned it, Tanya. and, and this has again become ubiquitous in our culture, even in the church. Which uh, I, I think is the most tragic, and a lot of pastors don't even want to address it because they know, you know, half the men, maybe more, in the congregation are using pornography, and so they they feel awkward about mentioning it. They're worried that somebody might get offended or or leave. But this is something that is devastating families. It's something that is devastating churches, and it's something that is devastating our society and our culture. Now, Jesus was very clear. You know, he set the bar way, way higher than, say, you know, the Old Testament and the Ten Commandments did, right? God says if you look on a woman with lust, you have committed adultery with her in your heart. So every time you go to your computer and you're looking at that filth, uh, you are committing adultery with uh, that woman or those people who you're seeing on the screen in your heart. Now, how do you think your marriage is going to be if you are constantly committing adultery? If you're constantly fantasizing about women who are not your wife? If you're constantly fantasizing about horrible? I mean, you know, some of the stuff that that's in pornography is just absolutely horrific. It, it, why would you want those images burned into your mind? It, it and I think a lot of men don't realize the devastating impact that it has. Um, and, and I've seen this even in, in, you know, men's groups. It's like, oh, well, you know, that's not a big deal. You know, I was, I was traveling. It's a huge deal. It's an absolutely huge deal. Again, go back to the standard that Jesus Christ said. You are committing adultery. Every time you're going to look at that pornography, uh, that is going to, to absolutely darken your heart. That is going to mess up your senses. It's going to make it very difficult to have a, a true fulfilling and loving relationship with your wife. It's actually going to, to impact, you know, without getting too graphic, the, the sexual relationship with your wife. And so this is something that you absolutely must cut out. Uh, and, you know, I, I understand for a lot of men, they, they've gotten what's called addicted, you know, and, and the brain works in, in some ways similar to the way it is with drug addictions. You know, your brain gets used to these little doses of chemicals when, when you're doing this, but you must, I implore you, you must get that out of your life. And, uh, you know, wives, if, if your husband is struggling with this, that's something that you need to help them with, but they need to get that out of your home. And this, this is something that, as you pointed out, Tanya, this has an effect on your children too. Uh, this is something that devastates families. And uh, I, I think pastors need to do a, a better job of, of speaking out about this in church.
0: I think so too, because men men need to hear it. They they need to hear that you know this does lead to addiction, and that if you could embrace, you love your precious children, but understand that when you step out and sin in this way, God says it will affect the, the you know the generations to come and yep. and so you open the door to the enemy and how is yes. that going to affect your children are you willing to do that and you i said earlier that uh, men and women we need to be sacrificial if you've made a decision and even if if you you know didn't make that decision intentionally but you have a child you have a massive responsibility to do everything sacrificially to give that child the best chance at a healthy childhood their innocence is fleeting and you could have something on your screen you could have uh, old school magazines in your home whatever it is your child at four or five whatever years old however they could be triggered by your activity it's already bad enough that it's everywhere in social media that uh hollywood has lost all grasp of uh you know the um I uh, uh, don't know the right word right now, of uh, of purity within Hollywood and, you know, the garbage that they're pumping out that our kids have access to very, very quickly. So you have to guard your home. You have to take steps with your computers and your television, throw your television out. It's really, Amen. you know, yeah, it's, it's not worth it having it in the home. Disney is done and all the rest. So what's it going to take for, you know, families to wake up and understand that uh, this isn't about you and you know, what makes you comfortable within the home, it's about your kids, and that has to be sacrificial. Okay, so let's um, move on to men's role within their communities. And what I mean by that, Alex, is, you know, we started the show off talking about what is happening within society right now. And again, that is the trans uh, agenda that is attacking our children. Like, Husbands, fathers, uncles, grandfathers, I'm talking to you right now. They are absolutely attacking and assaulting our children in ways that I don't think throughout humanity has ever been done before. And children are being sexualized. They are being sexually abused within the school system. They are being sexually exploited And I sometimes compare it to when parents are dropping their kids off at school. And this is not just public school, this is private school. When you are dropping your children off at school, would you do that if you knew that they were going to class and they were going to play Russian roulette that day? There's only one bullet, you know, limited chance that your child would get hit. But are you willing to send your child into that atmosphere? And this is what is happening. You do not know if your son or daughter is the one that is going to be easily persuaded by the propaganda that is going on in the school saying you could be born in the wrong body. When that happens in good Christian homes, parents are dealing with this and it is happening on mass. To families, Christian, non-Christian, Muslim, whatever you want. This is an attack against society. It is sterilizing our children when kids go down that path. It's causing confusion and it is turning children on their parents, not only on the issue of LGBTQ, but also on the issue of climate change and this radical critical race theory. Do you really, as a parent, feel good about putting your child in that environment? What are you willing to do? What can you do about it? So can you address that, please?
2: Yeah, I'm I'm happy to, Tanya. And I, I know there will be people out there who are offended by this, and I know there are people out there who do not want to hear this. Uh, frankly, I, I wish um, God had given me a different task, but he has laid on my heart. It, it has been my task for for years now to urge Christian families, Christian parents to withdraw their children from the public school system. Um, you, I, I believe that you can no longer, as a Christian, in good conscience, send your children to these institutions. Right? If you read the Bible, there are different spheres of authority. For different institutions, right? The, the family has certain spheres of authority. The church has certain spheres of authority. The civil government has certain spheres of authority. Uh, the government was never intended by God to play a role in the education or the discipling of your children. And a lot of people say, well, I'll just send my kids to a church school. Well, I think the church has a supplemental role, right? The role, there are many functions for the church and God describes these clearly. One of those is equipping the saints, but ultimately the discipling of children is a family responsibility. And so the father and the mother together should be doing what they can to disciple those children. And I don't mean Just suggest that you can't uh, delegate some of those tasks, that you can't set up a co-op, that you can't hire a tutor, that grandma can't come over and teach a few classes, that you can't choose uh, wisely a very good Christian school that you've thoroughly vetted, that you're supplementing with, uh, you know, home lessons, home worship, things like this. But that is a very serious responsibility that God has placed on us. And so as fathers, uh, the protection of our children needs to be one of our highest priorities. The discipling of our children needs to be one of our highest priorities. And right now, I I love the analogy use of Russian roulette. I actually say it's not just one bullet in the chamber. It's five out of six, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, And and the data is is absolutely clear at this point. I serve on the advisory board for the Nehemiah Institute, and they've been studying worldview in churches, Christian schools, public schools for, for 40 years now. They've got a worldview test. And what they have found is that over 80 percent of Christian children from Christian homes who spent 12 years in a government indoctrination center masquerading as a school are going to leave the faith and they're going to leave the church. Um, That's like Russian roulette, but you've got four rounds in five chambers. Uh, It is an absolutely deadly threat. Another analogy I use is, you know, the building is on fire. right? The public school building is on fire. And your children are inside. How could you possibly think of you know, lobbying the school board while your child is burning to death? Now, lobbying the school board is important, and we should be doing those things. But while your child's in the burning building, your first and most urgent priority is to remove that child from the building. Then you go lobby the school board. Then you go run for your legislature, your provincial legislature, or wherever there's maybe some decision-making authority here. But you, you don't do it in the other order. You don't say, well, I'm going to let my kid burn up, and I'm going to go run for office and hope that maybe 10 years down the line, maybe we can get can get." some new policies. That's absolutely crazy. And and I don't think God uh, would would permit us to do that. Uh, So I do believe parents must take this responsibility seriously. They must withdraw their children. Um, You know, I I know that's easier said than done. You know, as a homeschool father of five, I know it's a sacrifice, right? Uh, Typically, one parent is going to have to forego an income uh, or you're going to have to, you know, juggle the schedule. So I'm not suggesting that it's easy by any means, but God will bless it. Now, in terms of You know, broader community responsibilities. You know, Christians are commanded to be salt and light. Now that doesn't mean send your untrained, undiscipled, unarmed child into a spiritual war before he or she has been properly discipled. No more than I would suggest a parent send their 12 year old to Iraq with an M16 before they've been properly trained, right? It's simply crazy talk. You don't send your child to be discipled by the enemy. But as Christians and especially as men, we are to be out there as salt and light in the community. Uh, and the defense of children is one of the most obvious things that we have a responsibility to do. In fact, uh, if you're reading the Proverbs, if you're reading the Psalms, over and over again, God tells us that we have a responsibility, an obligation to speak up for the voiceless, to protect the innocent. Now, in America and in Canada as well, uh, we've been very blessed. Historically speaking, not a lot of people have been born into self-governing nations where, you know, in, in our Constitution, for example, the very first words is, we the people. So who is the government? in the United States of America, and and I understand the same is is generally true in Canada. Well, that's us. And so if we as Christians are not out there trying to shape these policies, we're not out there trying to steer government in the direction that God ordained government to be, uh, then I think we are actually... Uh, abdicating our responsibility. If you read your scriptures, you'll find there is a lot of wisdom, there's a lot of advice, and there are many commands given to rulers, given to kings, given to those in authority. Well, guess what? If you live in America or you live in Canada, you're in authority. Uh, not just as a voter right voting once every couple of years or once every four years that's not the end of your responsibility you need to be active in this process Now, that doesn't mean everybody listening to me needs to go run for office you don't need to go run for school board or provincial legislature or whatever but you need to be involved here now uh the and, and this is again something that churches don't teach on let's start with the basics why did god create government in the first place well it's because what we know from the scriptures about human nature. And of course, you can discern this just from the creation, discern this from looking around. Um, man's heart, especially prior to being redeemed by Christ, is desperately wicked. We are sinful, wicked people. And if left to our own devices, we would be running around stealing and killing and raping. So that's why God ordained civil government to restrain the progress of evil. And he articulates this very clearly, for example, in Romans 13, and there are other places. He tells us the purpose of government is to punish evil. Now, there are some things that we can legislate on that I think are are within human authority, but there are other things that are not within human authority. God's already given us a very comprehensive definition of what is evil. God says murder is evil. Therefore, as our founding fathers put it in our founding documents, you have a right to life. Why? Because murder is evil. Government must punish evil. Therefore, government must help you to protect your right to life. Same thing with property. God said thou shalt not steal. Thievery is evil. So, I mean, these are just very basic principles. I apologize if I sound like I'm speaking to children, but these are unfortunate things that our churches are not teaching. And so as Christians, not, not just men, but women as well, we have an obligation to go out and, first of all, proclaim the truth on these issues. The government is not to teach your children, uh, you know, LGBTism. The government is not to, uh, you know, raise your children for you. The government is not to have Pride parades. The government is not to uh, you know, do all of these different functions that the government has taken. Their first and primary responsibility is to punish evil. And unfortunately, we now, thanks to, I think, largely the abdication of Christians from their responsibilities, we're now in a system, in a situation where government is actually promoting evil. And punishing good. I mean, they're arresting people who speak the truth. So it's totally backwards. And so as Christians, we have a responsibility to get out there and do these things. If if the world doesn't hear the truth from us, where are they going to hear it from, right? You you think the pagans are going to tell them? You think the godless are going to tell them? You think the god-haters are going to tell them? What is the purpose of government? No. So we have an obligation. This whole nonsense that Christians need to stay out of the government, that's wicked. That's evil, uh, especially in our context where we the people, the voters, are supposed to be running things we must vote biblically, we must be active, and we must, at the most basic level, we must protect the most innocent, the children, the unborn, the elderly, right? That now in in Canada, increasingly, they're encouraging them to, you know, kill themselves with medical assistance. I mean, this is grotesque. This is an abomination. And if Christians don't speak out, if Christians don't get involved, these evils will continue to spread like a cancer throughout our society until we end up uh, you know, and, and I don't want to sound like an alarmist, but until we end up like Nazi Germany or or the Soviet Union or communist China or, or Cambodia under Pol Pot, these types of unbiblical policies lead inevitably. They produce fruit inevitably that is wicked, that is death, that is gulags. And, uh, you know, as Christians, we should not tolerate that voluntarily. We have an obligation to be involved here
0: hundred percent. It's interesting, you know, because I had Maxime Bernier on the show last week and in I always do a weekly um, update letter that promotes not only whatever the topic is on, but supporting information. And, you know, many people are like, oh, you know, you should stay out of uh, politics. Christians are supposed to stay out of politics. But as you said, it's not biblical. And by abdicating their role, who do you think is going to step in and lead? Evil, evil people. And, you know, we have witnessed that. And I don't want to just say, you know, well, you know, people were busy raising their families and, uh, you know, didn't see the evil that was prevailing behind the curtain. Because we do have to take responsibility at some level to say, did you care about who you voted for on the day of election? Did you look into who this person was? And a campaign that Action for Canada has as, as part of many massive campaigns that we've got going on nationwide, but is to implement chapters into every single town and community across this country. And I love showing the map because it we have over a hundred uh, chapters, we're vetting many more people, but then within those communities, what our objective is, is to uh, you know pull on the members in the communities to grow up to such a level that we can Uh, have a say in those elections that we will win those elections but beyond that we're also going into churches and we're asking them to be part of our community to open their doors to action for canada so that we can have meetings within there with with the community members that homeschoolers would have a safe place with teachers to come and learn and um, even for churches to open up schools within you know their facilities and this is growing and it's catching on and it's amazing But when we abdicate that role, uh, you know, we're going to experience exactly what we're facing today. We have to care about the leaders. We have to care. Are they a person that truly uh, not just by lip service says, yes, you know what? I'm a Christian. Is it modeled in their life? Is there evidence of it? Are they on the front line of this war with us? And as Alex was saying, you know, for men to be involved in their communities, yes, it's important to be involved with your family. It's number one, but we do need you participating within the community. We do need you caring about who is being elected into office at all levels of government, municipal, provincial, and federal. And um, I, I just love that. It's it is absolutely essential, uh, Alex. And I, I appreciate you. Uh, covering all of these, uh, topics with us. Now, is there anything else? I know that we've, uh, we're at the hour point here. Is there anything else that you would like to encourage men in today as far as their role? Uh, one thing that I have been considering in Canada, you know, that, uh, nations around the world are calling Justin Trudeau a dictator. Like it's, it's really bad, but yeah, What is also happening is through Action for Canada's resources, uh, we're not just a organization reporting on the bad things that are happening. We're calling on Canadians to assert their rights. And in order to do that, they need to be um, knowledgeable and understand what those rights are. So all of our resources apply the Constitution, the Charter, the Coronation Oath, and the Criminal Code. And within that, I always say knowledge is power. And when you have it, you got to use it and you got to share it. And so that is one of the ways that individuals can easily get involved in their communities is either decide to lead a chapter or attend, show up. Go to the municipal meetings and make sure that uh, you're having a voice, that you understand what's going on there, because there's frightening things. If you go we're, we've talked a lot about school boards today, but as you know, Alex, there's the 15 minute cities and the smart cities, but the policies that have already been um, implemented within cities and townships is frightening. And the way to turn that around is to let your counsels know these are in violations of all my rights. This is an exercise in futility. I will not be complying. My family will not be complying. And I will be on the front line of this. What does a warrior spirit look like within, uh, within a man in this um, ele- elevated situation that we have today?
2: Well, I think you hit the nail on the head right there, Tanya. And that is how we should be approaching all these things. You know, we, we talked quite a bit about uh, the responsibility within the family. We talked some about the responsibility within the government. And, and, you know, I would just maybe add to that responsibility within the church. Um, you know, read your, your Bible. What does God say is the function of the church is to equip the saints? Pastors are to preach the whole counsel of God. And that means not just, you know, 52 different versions of John 3, 16 sermons, uh, mostly taken out of context and and misapplied. Uh, That means we need to be teaching about all of these different areas. I mean, have you been studying systematic theology? What does God say about this and this and this? Uh, Is your pastor preaching on government, on family, on education, on culture, on abortion? These are all things that are clearly addressed in the Word of God. And so churches should be equipping the saints to be active, not just in their families, not just in the government, but also within the church. Are we serving our communities, right? Uh, One of the things that we as Christians should be doing is serving the poor, right? A lot of the responsibilities that government has usurped from the church and from the individual Christian uh, and from the family uh, have been usurped because the churches haven't been fulfilling their responsibility, and Christian families have not been fulfilling their responsibility. So we need to get back to those understandings, and Jesus Christ needs to be the Lord of every area of our life and that means not just you know one hour on sunday that means the whole week that means our job that means our business that means our family that means the education of our children that means every single area needs to be in submission to what god has told us Uh, and as more and more of us start doing these things as more and more of us are in the Word and praying and joining with other Christians to impact the culture positively, to impact our families positively, uh, and even the church, what we'll see is is an incredible transformation. And folks, the time is urgent. I mean, look at what is happening around you. How much more of this are you going to take before you say, "I'm not going to take this anymore. I'm going to do what God has called me to do." You know, and and the Great Commission. Maybe we can end end on this. You know, oftentimes when you hear pastors say it, they say, "Go make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy." spirit and then they cut off the the tail in there which is teaching them to obey all the things that I have commanded you. And so as Christians we should be obedient and we should be teaching other Christians to be obedient. And and to be obedient means to be obedient in all areas in our responsibility to our family, husbands, responsibilities to your wives, wives responsibilities to your husbands, parents responsibilities to your children, all of us obviously our responsibilities to our king uh you know all of us as in our responsibility as voters as citizens to be active in in the process all of us as members of a of a local church in our responsibility as members of that church so we've got all these responsibilities that God has given us we need to be taking those seriously now we are one body with many members and so all of us don't have to do all of these things right all of us need to be involved in the great commission and all these things but Every member of the body has a different function, and, and the scriptures talk about this, right? What's the ear going to say to the eye, like, hey, you should be doing something here"? No, we all have a different role, so pray about it, read your Bible, find out where does God want you in this battle, because we're in a spiritual war, and God has told us the weapons at our disposal. Right? Go read Ephesians chapter 6. It's laid out so clearly. Everything you need to know about this battle we find ourselves in is right there. This is a war Waged on us by powers and principalities, by the spiritual forces of wickedness and darkness in high places and the celestial places. And God tells us that our weapon here is the sword of the spirit, which is, of course, the word of God. And all these things have answers to them, right? When they say there's infinity genders, no, male and female. God created them male and female, right? All these different issues that are popping up, we've got the answers. They're in God's word. Uh, The shield of faith, that's how we're going to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now, remember, God is sovereign. So, the whole battle is not up to you, right? And praise the Lord that the battle is not up to us. God is already victorious. We just need to do what He's called us to do. Uh, you know, and I, I hear a lot of people, well, he's coming back soon. We're going to be raptured. Okay. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. I don't know. I don't know if he's coming back tomorrow or 10 years from now. You know, we'll leave that theological debate for another time. But when he gets back, let him find us busy doing what he has called us to do, uh, as men, as husbands, as fathers, as wives, as women, as mothers, as members of a local congregation, as citizens in the countries that God has chosen to place us in. Uh, we need to be doing what he's called us to do. And, uh, You know, I I hope that uh, people will just be in prayer about this and read the Bible. That's how God communicates with us. All the answers you need are right there.
0: Right. Amen to that, Alex. Um, I think we've pretty much covered it all. And I really appreciate you being on the show. I hope that many people, uh, you know, will embrace the words and the advice that you've given. This really is, there is a tangible way to turn this country around. And Second Chronicles even adds because, you know, our nations have turned their back on God. When they open the door to abortion, I mean, you you have abortion legislation in uh, America, but Canada doesn't have any. You can A child up to full term and it's it's deplorable it's disgusting we need a law and so you know we need to be on the front line of uh, fighting for all humanity but you know when we when we take a look of uh, our involvement and then without having an abortion legislation in Canada and opening up the sacrifice of our children to Baal which is really what this is it's a very demonic force you then open up to same-sex marriages which is outside of of God's Perfect plan, you know, for marriage. Sexual deviant starts to come in, and it has no limit. It will g- just keep pushing and pushing. And now we have the sacrifice of children within our school systems uh, to sexual deviants who are, are, uh, you know, just. Um, uh, I've had a loss that they're, that they're they're so deeply integrated into the the school system and pulling our children their way, and they're being lost to this. Uh, so. We do, we do have a big work ahead of us, but Second Chronicles says that if you take a look at all of these things that we've been involved in, that we've permitted, that we've sit, sat back and been complicit to, God says if you humble yourself before Him, and you get down on your knees, and you confess these as sins, even your apathy towards them, or your fear in taking a stand and proclaiming the truth, that God says, when you get to that point, and he will come, and he will heal our land. And so we are appealing to people, even as we speak today, and as you view this, if you have been complicit in apathy, you have just turned a blind eye, just go before the Lord and say, you know what, God, I've, I didn't realize it, you know, but I've had a part to play in this and I'm, I'm making a, a choice today that I am going to be speaking boldly the truth and I am going to be exposing the evil and I am praying that you would heal our land. And I believe that God is faithful. This is a promise in the scriptures that God says if we as a nation come to this point that he will heal our land. And I believe That through all of the work in these last few years and with the corners that we're turning right now, God is actually beginning to do that, both in the United States. Amazing. What is it? 26 states in the U.S. that are putting legislation in place uh, against all the radical agendas, against our children, against transition, against the uh, curriculums, against abortion. And it's just been a beautiful thing to sit back and watch. It gives me hope. It gives Canadians hope. And now we're beginning that process as well. So... I- anything in final that you would like to uh, mention?
1: In-
2: yeah, be encouraged, folks. I, I know that it looks uh, like we live in very dark times, and-, and we do. We we certainly do. Some of these things, as you pointed out, Tanya, are unprecedented in human history. A society that is systematically castrating its children, a society that is murdered, in, in our case here in America, 63 million unborn babies. Uh, it is unspeakably wicked. But be encouraged. Our God is sovereign. Our God is powerful beyond anything any of us can comprehend. Uh, And and I always tell people, read your Old Testament. There's so much wisdom and so much insight in the Old Testament that I think we need for today. Um, you know, some of the stories that just give me so much encouragement of God's people resisting evil, of God's people standing up in defiance of evil decrees, whether it be the Hebrew midwives in Exodus chapter 2 telling Pharaoh, uh, basically, no, we're not going to kill the baby boys, regardless of what you say, uh, whether that be uh, Elijah standing up to Ahab and his wickedness, whether that be, uh you know, Daniel uh, refusing to follow the uh, law, not to pray to God. Uh, he actually does it publicly. He opens up his window. Um, and, and then you read the stories of God using just a, a small group like Gideon and the 300 to smash this massive Midianite army that had come against God's people. Uh, or you read in Second Kings, there's a couple fascinating stories there. You know, Elisha, uh, and his servant, not Elijah, Elisha, uh, the kind of the follower of Elijah. Uh, they, they have been helping the king of Israel and, uh, and the king of Syria is after him. He's going to chase him down. He finally finds them. and they've got uh, Elisha and his servant surrounded and uh, Elisha prays because his servant is freaking out, like, oh my goodness, we're surrounded. So Elisha prays, God, open this man's eyes so he can see what's really going on. Uh, And God is faithful, and God responds. He opens the servant's eyes, and he sees that the hills are just covered with angelic beings and chariots of fire. Uh, It's not us who are surrounded. It's them. They should be quaking in their boots. The evil is going to stop. I don't know when. I don't know what role each of us, little small part, each of us will play, but God has got this under control. None of this is a surprise to him. We just need to be faithful. We need to be encouraged we need to do what he has called us to do and tanya i'm so grateful for what you are doing for what action for canada is doing and you know there's so many wonderful canadians up there i'm I'm just endlessly grateful for what god is doing through you and through uh, the other great canadians that are standing on these front lines keep it up um we know how this all ends right the evil is going to be stopped every knee is going to bow so be encouraged do what we're supposed to and god bless you all
0: yeah, thank you so much. God is still on the throne and he's fully in control. And he does allow evil to prevail for a time, but it's for our good. So we get on our knees and start looking back to him and turn society around. So, Alex, again, thank you, too, for all the incredible that work that you're doing down in the U.S. to bring awareness and to bring people back to uh, good godly living. So God bless you and we will have you on the show again.
2: Thank you so much, Shania. God bless you, too.
0: Thank you.
3: Wow, thank you so much, Tanya and Alex. Even though Tanya's not here, that was uh, such great information. A number of years ago when I was a young man, I uh, knew that the Lord would be coming back someday, but I had a prayer, and I prayed, Lord, if you would be so kind as just to allow me to get married someday before you come back, I would really like that. And the Lord answered my prayer, I got married. And then I thought I would push it a little bit, and I said, Lord, I would really like to be a dad someday, you know, before you come back. And uh, then we found that we couldn't have children. So I kind of accepted that. And so uh, but a couple of years later, the Lord blessed us with uh, a daughter. And um, so that was a great thing. I was a dad. Responsibility. Wow. That was a big thing. And then a couple of years later, the Lord blessed us with a son. And uh, then two years later, he blessed us with another son. And then four years later, he blessed us with another son. And then two years later, he blessed us with another son. And then two years later, four years later, he blessed us with another son, and then another son, and another son, and then, and then a daughter, and then another daughter. So if you're doing the math, I ended up with nine children. So now my prayer is, Lord, I've got all these children, and the world's a mess. You can come back anytime you want. <laughs> but you know, in spite of the fact that the world is a mess, children really are a blessing from the Lord. It's a great responsibility. And uh, I'm blessed to have 11 grandchildren now. Actually, one of my granddaughters turns 10 years old today. And with everything that Alex Newman was talking about, the great responsibility uh, that parents have today in raising our children, even though this world is so messed up, God gives us the tools that we need. And I just want to take a moment before we close the show tonight. You know, some of you parents are here uh, listening to this and you've got some prodigal children. You know, you've done the part that God has told you to do. And somehow your children, they're just, they've wandered off and, and they're living their own life. And God makes a promise, you know, that if we raise up our children in the way sh- they should go, that, uh, the day will come when they will turn. And some of you listening may be those prodigal children. Maybe you're older now. Maybe your parents have gone on and everything that Alex has said tonight, maybe it's even some of the thing that, that Tanya has said tonight have really touched your heart. And so I just pray that this webinar uh, tonight, this Empower Hour will really have ministered to your heart and you'll realize you've got responsibilities. And I want you to know that even though we fail, we have a gracious and loving God that forgives. So let this time be a time of healing in your life because we're here for a purpose. God doesn't make mistakes. And you may have had a father in your life that was an absent father, an abusive father, and, uh, but you have a heavenly father that loves you and he sent his son to die on the cross for you. So in closing tonight, I would just like to offer up a prayer. And if you have a need in your heart and you need a savior, this is your opportunity tonight just to turn to him in love and in faith. And so I would just uh, like to lead in a prayer. And if that's you tonight, and you'd say, dear God, I'm in need tonight. My life is kind of lost. And I realize that I need a savior and I want to receive Jesus Christ by faith in my, in my heart and in my life as my Lord and savior. And I accept Jesus Christ to be that savior. And so please save me, cleanse me from all my sin. And I want to be a child of God. I receive Jesus Christ now as my Lord and savior in Jesus name. Now you may not understand all of that in, entails or implies but you realize that there's a need in your heart and we would like you to reach out to us at uh, uh, prayers at actionforcanada.ca and we would gladly uh, respond to you and lead you on your your journey of faith and so we are so glad that you were part with us tonight and so we encourage you to join with us next week we have a very special guest uh, Majed El Shefi, who's been with us before and uh an incredible man who's uh, uh wow yeah, you really have to be with us next week. He will share some, uh, some incredible stories of what he's been doing all over the world. And uh, so please do join us next week. Be sure to register in advance. And so on behalf of all of our team here at Action for Canada, we want to thank you for being with us uh, tonight. Reverence for God gives a man deep strength. His children have a place of refuge and security. Taken from Proverbs chapter 14, verse 26. So important. So thank you. For that. And uh, we certainly thank the Lord for his ministry and through Action for Canada. So thank you again for being with us. God willing, we'll see you next week. So God bless you and God bless Canada.
1: right so I am just gonna thank you so much I'm going to say God bless you and God bless Canada